Angel voices sing. 
26. And continue reading from verse 11. The psalmist is rehearsing a little of the history of Israel. This is the crossing of the Red Sea. And the waters covered their enemies. This is verse 11. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron uh, this and and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abram. And a fire was kindled in their company. A flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the multitude of an ox or that eateth grass. They forgot God, their saviour, who had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal poor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague broke in upon them. Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment and so the plague was stayed. And that was accounted unto him for righteousness and to all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learnt their works and served their idols, who were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the gods of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-warring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people inasmuch that he abode his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought law for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And he remembered uh, for them his covenant, 
and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Come to 264. Similar theme of the, the Lord's ascension. The Savior to glory is gone. His sufferings and sorrows are past. His work is completed and done and shall to eternity last. Forever he lives to bestow the blessings he pur purchased so dear. Our bosoms with gratitude glow whilst to him by faith we don't need two, six, four.
Gracious Father, we thank you for our exalted Savior. We thank you for your word. We pray now as we seek to understand your word. Bless it to our hearts by the Spirit. Make it real to us, Father, this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 3. We've been looking at this for a few weeks. I want us to continue looking at it this morning. It's interesting, providentially, that uh, we are remembering 70 years of our Queen's reign. And memories are a big thing. If you've been watching your television or radio or newspaper, I bought a paper yesterday and it had a supplement of the 70 years and pictures and stories and so on. And uh, the nation, looking back, uh, I can barely remember uh, when she was made queen. I think I'm right in saying it was 52 and then the coronation was 53. Does that sound right? People in the audience, yeah, thank you very much. All right, and I was six, so it's a long time ago. And uh, memories, uh, for lots of reasons, personally at the moment, and you understand, uh, memories can be uh, a ble great blessing, but they can be tinged with sadness because we've all got good memories and bad memories. And uh, some of us remember the Queen, I think it was on a, <coughs> on a Christmas speech, talking, uh, forgive my Latin pronunciation, her, she'd had an animus, her rule. Robles, Anabas, that's the one. Right? She had a horrible year, right, in plain English. She had a horrible year. It was a terrible year for the Queen and for various reasons. And uh, even the Queen, lover, um, has had problems over the last 70 years. So she's got bittersweet memories, and uh, we don't want to go into that too much. I must confess, I was thinking about her, um, and <clears throat> there's been some quotes about um, Christ's teaching is so important in her life and about the Bible being a foundation and so on and I was thinking I wonder what she must feel think when she has to do the opening of Parliament and she gives the Queen's speech and she says my government will do this that and the other and she had to say my government will bring in <coughs> legislation for same-sex marriage. I wonder how she thought about that. Now, somebody say, well, she should, have said, she should have said it. If you know your constitution, whether she said it or not, it would still be passed by law. Because we are not a monarchy, we are a democracy. And the government uh, decides the law. And the Queen gives assent to it. And if she didn't, they'd bypass it. And that's the way it works. Thank God for a king who is king of kings and lord of lords, who has all authority and does what he will, and none can thwart him. Praise God for King Jesus. Anyway, we're going to look at a verse um, that talks about memories. It's verse 21 of chapter 3 of Lamentations, just down from Jeremiah. This I recall to my mind... Therefore, have I hope. 
This I recall to my mind. This I remember, if you like. Therefore, I have hope. There were certain things that came to the memory of Jeremiah that he thought about and dwelt upon and meditated, which then brought him hope. A definite expectation of better days. Now, we keep quoting the context of Jeremiah because it seems to me it's so important. I've said previously that this little section here about uh, the Lord's mercies and his faithfulness and, and the Lord's portion and the Lord is good and all that kind of thing. If you transported this out into one of the Psalms of David where he's had a great victory and, and great blessing and you took that out and put it in there, you say, well, yes, um, I can see that. I can see saying these great things in these circumstances. But here is a man who is in the midst of horrendous problems. We are seeing, aren't we, uh, refugees and uh, terrible things in Ukraine. Well, that was happening in Israel. The people of God had been taken captivity. The Babylonians had just swept through and almost everything was being destroyed. And they've been put out of the land. And Jeremiah is in the midst of this. And he has to prophesy to these people. And what they're dying to hear from is that God will suddenly come and avenge them and bring them back and do all these things and sort out their enemy. That's what they want to hear. And Jeremiah says, no, there's not going to be peace, peace. God will carry this out. And we know it will be for a limited time, i.e. 70 years. But that's the context. And he weeps over this message. He weeps over these people. He weeps because uh, apparently the honor and the glory of God is so diminished. God will have his way. There's a purpose in this. But it was difficult for them to see. And in the midst of all of this, you have these wonderful, wonderful verses. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, that's a test, isn't it? That's a test. What do you do when things are so difficult and so bad and you think, oh, what's, is life really worth living? Now, some of us have been there. Perhaps some of us are there. You need to remember you need to recall to mind certain great truths um, regarding God and his sovereign mercies. Now, the word recall here means uh, to turn, to return, to turn back. Um, it's a certain irony in, in a sense because... Um, the reason they were in that state was because they turned away from God. This is the problem. And you read it in the Old Testament. I read that Psalm 106. It's in there where they've turned away from God. And so God has turned away from them. Not completely, thankfully. Not completely. But that's what caused the problems. They're turning. Now, yeah, Jeremiah said, I turned again to think about what God had done in the past. I 
turn to think about what God is like now. And you have the context of it there. The Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good unto all and wait upon him. And so on. Wasn't this the, uh, the turning point of the prodigal son in New Testament? He stops thinking about home. He has good memories. He has some bad memories, the way he treated his dad and his mom. But he has good memories. And he's thinking there as he's sitting with the pigs. Uh, there are people that back home employed by my dad who are better off than me. His mind goes back to better days. And therefore, it encourages him to go back and so on. Now, throughout the scriptures, we have these references um, to remembering, particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, just a, a few, I want, uh, there's hundreds of them, but just a few that uh, I've, I've just made a little note of here, um, that uh, example, Psalm 77, um, which is what the psalmist says. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings, and so on. He has great memories of great blessings in days gone by. And it's a great encouragement to him. Now, one of the reasons I read Psalm 106 is because it is one of the saddest verses in this connection, I think. There's a wonderful build-up here, you see, of God delivering his people from Egypt, the Red Sea. I mean, that was amazing. The plagues, that was amazing. The Red Sea parted, amazing. You know, you would think if you'd been one of those Israelites, you'd never, ever forget that. I mean, it's spectacular, absolutely spectacular. And uh, this is what we read. God... He rebuked the Red Sea also. It was dried up, so he, he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of them and hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Hallelujah. They believed. Then believed they his words and sang his praise. Wow. Great. Listen to the very next verse. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. How on earth could they do that? How could they forget so quickly? So quickly? To be honest, you're like that. And I'm like that. We forget so quickly. The blessings of God the mercies of God, the, the kindness of God. We forget so quickly. He talks about murmuring in their tents. 
many believers murmur in their tents. They go home on a Sunday morning and they have a little murmur in their their tents. Not literally tents, but in their dwelling places. They murmur, they mumble, they complain. God deliver us. God deliver us from a murmuring spirit, a grumbling, complaining spirit. We forget so soon, so quickly, all that God has done. I I made a little few notes of some of the verses in Psalm 106. For example, the psalmist says, verse 4, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that you bore unto your people. You have a, a record, the antecedents of God. You look back and see how good he has been. Lord, remember me. Remember me. I remember what you did in the past. Well, remember me here and now. Verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercy. You see what he's doing? It wasn't a small thing that God did that they'd forgotten. Oh, that little small thing. Oh, I forgot about that. This is fairly big. This is fairly big. The multitude of thy mercies. And they forgot. They forgot. They soon forgot his works. Now what's amazing, as you read through the psalm, towards the end, verse 45, and he, God, remembered for them his covenant. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I forget. I don't remember. Right? Same coin. To remember, not to forget. And God remembers. And what does God remember? He remembers his covenant. Thank God for his covenant. For his covenant promises. We've looked at this in the past. Just may remind you, let me remind you of in this context. Thank God for the God of the covenant. He remembers his covenant. He will not destroy finally his people. He will preserve them. He will ultimately deliver them. Why? Because he has determined in the councils of eternity that he will do that. It's his covenant. Thank God it doesn't depend ultimately on me. I am responsible for what I do. I acknowledge that. I'll be held to account. But God is faithful to his covenant. That's why I love that hymn. God of the covenant. Triune Jehovah. Marvels of mercies. uh, And so on. We can depend upon God. Not to forget. To remember us even though sometimes we deserve the contrary. And, as I've said, this is throughout the Old Testament, and uh, comes into the New Testament as well, that God is a God who remembers, who remembers. Um, a few little verses, just quickly, from the New Testament, thinking about this. God 
God remembers his people because he loves his people. Now, to what end do we have in this verse? All right. Okay, we're to not forget, we're to remember uh, his, uh, his blessings and his person. To what end? Therefore have I hope. Therefore have I hope. You get the impression sometimes that the world out there, as scripture says, they are without hope and without God in the world. How sad is that? How sad is that? They have no hope. have no God in whom to believe and trust. They have no Savior to forgive their sins and give them peace in their hearts. Without hope and without God in the world, how tragic is that? But the great theme, one of the great themes of the New Testament is that we have hope. And the hope in the New Testament, Christian hope is not kind of vague something like, well, I hope it won't rain tomorrow because I want to do some planting in my garden. You know, I hope. I hope it'll be all right. I hope things will work out. It's not some vague thing. It's an expectation that is definite and certain. And that's why uh, the New Testament speak about this hope. In chapter 4 of uh, Romans and verse 18, this is what Paul says. Uh, well, verse 17, as it is written, I have made the father of many nations before whom he believed. This is Abraham, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which, which be not as though they were. Who, against hope, right, this is Abraham, believed in hope. He might become the father of many nations, and so on. There's this hope. God is described as the God of all hope. Chapter 5, all right? By whom we have access by faith, the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Knowing that, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed in our broads by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. Here is this, this, this experience, these tribulations, leading to hope that is sure and definite. On into chapter 8, again, the apostle speaks about this hope. You know the verse as well. For the creature or creation was made subject of vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. It's in hope. Because God will do something about this creation. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. God will do it. God will see to it. It's part of his plan. Chapter 12, he can talk about rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing 
instant in prayer, and so on. Because we have this hope, this certainty, this expectation, we rejoice. Physically, temporally, things may get worse. Oh, you say, Colin, don't say that. It's bad enough as they are. Let's be real. Let's be real. You're getting older. I'm not. I'm staying as I am. But you lot are getting older. I go back to Wales um, at the end of the week, and I hope people will say, oh, you're looking younger, but I don't think they will. I think they might say the truth. Colin, you're looking really old. Thank you very much. But, but, the Lord is the God of hope because he will finally bring us out. He will deliver us. He will bless us as he determines. When Paul writes the great chapter in chapter 15, he, he says something quite startling to begin with. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. That's a funny thing to say. How can he say in this life in Christ, if that's all, that's all we have, it's a miserable hope? Because the great promise of the gospel is eternal life, is a life hereafter. It's a life in heaven, in glory, with the Lord Jesus. Now, if that's not our highest, best hope, if that's all we have is what we've got on earth, then other people have something similar. Other religions have something similar. But only we have a resurrected Savior. One who is alive and alive forevermore. And that's why he goes on to say, if in this life we only have hope in Christ, we're all men most miserable. But now in Christ Jesus, Christ is risen from the dead. Because the first rooms of them have slept and so on. We have a risen Savior. And our hope for heaven and glory is in a risen Christ. Now, one of the famous chapters on hope that we know well is Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, uh, Paul, a uh, writer, whoever, is talking about God's promises. All right, so from verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, we've done this several times, haven't we? Whereby in the Old Testament, particularly and elsewhere, that when somebody would say, I swear an oath, they would swear by something. It might be uh, swear by their God, or swear by the temple of their God, or, or swear by something that was, was very precious, or whatever. They would swear an oath by that. I've used the expression that when I was a lad, we would say, I swear on my granny's grave or something like that because that was very important, you see, and that meant you would tell the truth or, you, or whatever. 
And, and so the writer says, now people sway by something that is greater than themselves. Now God swears an oath to his people. And, but there's nothing greater than himself. So he swears by himself. For when God made promise to Abram because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely bless and I will bless thee and multiply and I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. That's the end of it. I've sworn an oath. Wherein? God willing uh, more abundantly to show the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope upon the lay hold upon the hope that is before us. Our hope is in God. In God himself, the eternal God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We're back to the Trinity. Back to the covenant God. And this is our hope. He will not fail us. He will not let us down. Whatever may happen to us, personally, relationally, whatever will happen to us, he will not let us go. And then he uses a, a strange, in a sense, I think, illustration. Which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now, you think of an anchor, right? Um, I don't know too much about anchors, but I know that uh, when you, the ship uh, comes into dock, they blow the anchor. So it's secure, it doesn't move about. And when they want to go, they pull the anchor up, and off they go, right? I know that much. I also know that sometimes they can use it for steering. Now, for those of you who know about ships might want to just have a word with me afterwards. Um, but they lower the anchor, and then they turn, and, the, and that, by the way of the engines, motoring, they can actually turn it because of where the anchor is secured. Very clever. So here's this analogy, right, of a hope that is sure and steadfast, like an anchor. But then it seems as if the metaphor illustration changes because that's a sea. That's to do with ships and sea and the rest of it and docking. But then he goes on to say, and which enters in within the veil. Now this is a, a temple thing. This is a, a spiritual thing. And you think anchors and temples and veils, and then how do you connect the two? It's strange, isn't it? Well, possibly, his mind is going from, these, these, the, this, from the, the ship and the security. And then he's thinking, how, how are we secure as Christians? And he thinks of the temple and the veil that it was in the temple and the tabernacle, this great veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of all. And into the holiest of all went the high priest once a year on the day of atonement. He offered a sacrifice for himself, for his sins, and the sins of the people, and so forth. 
And he says, he goes on to say, wherein the forerunner for us is entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ has gone into that holy, holy place. And he has offered up a sacrifice, not for sins, for he had none, but for the sins of all his people for all time. And he secures a redemption that is total, that is complete, that is finished. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? We sang in that hymn about uh, it's been finished, it's done, it's completed, nothing to add to it. How dare uh, folk talk about the communion as transubstantiation where the blood actually becomes the blood of Jesus and the bread becomes his body. How dare they say that? How dare they add anything to the sacrifice of our Savior? You cannot. You don't need to. It's been done. It's been finished. It's complete. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And in that, in his work, is completed, finished, final work, we have an anchor, secure, steadfast, will never be moved. One of the problems with anchors, so I'm told, is that they can be dragged, depending on the current and the rest of it. Even a great big anchor, uh, a ship can go and the anchor can be dragged. It needs to be secured to some rocks or whatever. This anchor, secure in Jesus. In Jesus. Nearly finished. So do you see? This I recall to my mind. I think about these things. I think about what God has done. I think about his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and his loving kindness. I think of all those things culminating in the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection. Therefore, have I hope. Some dear folk have hope, but it's baseless. You say to some folk, will you go to heaven when you die, do you think? I hope so. Are your sins forgiven? Well, I hope so. Well, on what basis, may I ask, do you base that hope? Well, uh, I'm not a really bad person. I know I do things wrong. I make mistakes. But I'm not really bad. And I, I do believe in God and I don't know much about but I do believe in God a little bit. And I do sometimes say my prayers when I go to bed. And I do come to church every now and again. And I read the Bible occasionally and so on. Um, I'm hoping that all that God will say, yes, that's right. That's enough. I'll let you into my heaven. Dear ones, that's not enough for you or me or anybody. If that's your hope, I have to tell you carefully, tenderly, lovingly, that is no hope. Because the only hope of which the Bible speaks is a hope personal in the Lord Jesus and his work on behalf of sinners as he dies as a substitute on the cross and rises again. There's no hope apart from him. Religion is not enough. Devotion is not enough. Doing this, that, and the other is not enough. And never would be. And if it was, why would Jesus die? 
There's tons of devotion and this and that in the Old Testament. Didn't save any of them. They needed a savior. A spotless lamb of God to take away their sin. I recall, as I think about this, therefore am I hope. I trust, oh my dear, dear ones, I trust this morning your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word. Forgive us that we forget so quickly your blessings and we murmur, complain, but cause us to bring to mind the things that you've done in days gone by, the glories of God, the works of God, the works of the Lord Jesus. Cause us to think of these things particularly his life and death and resurrection. And as we recall these things, as we bring it in mind, may this give us great hope that he will not abandon us. He will bring us finally home to glory. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll sing that hymn. Number 550. 54 My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy, lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, and his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Five, five, four.
God is our God, such a Holy Spirit as our Holy Spirit. Triune Jehovah, God of the covenant, we worship thee. And now with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the sweet fellowship of the Spirit, remain with each one here now and evermore. Amen.